Hey everyone, this is EJ Lawless from HR Tech Go to Market, most popular podcast on how HR Tech, DAO, tooling, robotics and automation companies bring their products to market. In this episode, I speak with Bryce Ratner Keithley from Great Team Partners. Great Team is a talent as a service company, and this is actually a look from the talent side, potential buyers of TA tools and HR tech tools about what they look for and what Bryce in particular looks for in HR tech talent attraction tools. She talks about some of her favorite tools in this space right now and how she thinks about growing talent as a service company. It's a great episode if you want a view into the mind of someone on the talent side. Hey everyone, this is EJ Lawless from HR Tech Go to Market, the most popular podcast on how HR tech companies go to market. Today I have a special guest with me, Bryce Ratner Keithley from Great Team Partners. This is a little bit different type of podcast here because with Bryce, we're actually going and talking to someone who's on the talent side, not on the founding side, not on the investing side, actually on the t- talent side. Bryce, thank you for joining me today. Would love to hear a little bit of your background from you directly. Hi, EJ. Yeah, sounds good. Yes, from the other side of the fence, if you will. I've been in recruitment for over a decade, well over a decade at this point. And I've seen it from a lot of different perspectives. I started on like the external third party contingency search side. I cut my teeth doing like accounting and finance recruitment in like 2010 in the last recession. What I learned was both like how to work hard and grind and make good placements and ultimately like how to compete in a tough market. But I also learned that recruiters are often like at the disadvantage in their work because you're speaking about a domain that you yourself are not an expert in. So like, you know, CPAs or finance professionals, MBAs. And and, and I learned kind of how to navigate and get comfortable being uncomfortable with a subject matter. I wanted to get into tech. I joined an RPO, a recruitment process outsourcing firm called Bing, did kind of that hybrid model tech recruiting for a couple of years. And then went in-house. So I was hired by Nextdoor to build and scale recruitment there after their Series C. Was at a small Series A company called Clara. And then spent a big chunk of my career at Square, building mostly product development team, building, managing teams myself. And then was at an investment firm doing talent for the portfolio before really focusing on startups and just partnering with leaders and helping them build great teams. Yeah. So you really do have a wide set of perspectives with that RPO experience, in-house experience, some on the investment side as well. And then now you are running your own talent as a service company as well, right? So you've just sort of gotten all of these different perspectives on how talent looks and how it's evolved over the past 10, 15 years. Well said. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that's like fantastic. You know, I think people listening on this podcast are going to be more on the founding side and think about how do they build and sell into talent. I think what, what I've seen right now, too, is that there's a lot of talent marketplaces. And one that just popped up with funding recently is Continuum, which is executive, fractional executives. And I think you and I have talked about that. I'm curious how you think about that movement, both for yourself and potentially in a, a talent realm? Like what's been your experience or thoughts around that type of space? Well, I think it's really apt, especially now that like remote and hybrid style work is 
becoming, you know, the, the, the overwhelming norm in so many different ways. And, you know, whether it's Elad Gill having the conversation of when you bring on your first recruiter, as early as your first hire, talent and people staff tends to take an inordinate amount of a leader's time. And if you're like me and subscribe to Jim Collins, you know, first two, then what? You know, the people are the building blocks and the folks who either sell or create the products you're trying to sell. And it's undoubtedly important. It's also generally none of the leaders' full-time jobs. And so these fractional engagements can unlock both like outsized expertise, experience from the trenches, and I, I think just, you know, more horsepower for the, the people and talent acquisition side than perhaps founders are planning to dedicate through a full-time hire at the outset. And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of consistent with the, the the gap that I see in the market and some of the value prop that I'm trying to offer, which is you might not hire me full time needing full time people and talent help as mm-hmm. a pre a company and also the experience I can bring can either help offset the founder's time or again kind of help them see around the bend of what they're going to care about with regards to people and talent things when it kind of feels like a survival function. Yeah, understood. So there's a few different things in there I'm sort of picking up. So one is the time commitment that talent and recruiting really requires and how important it is. I think you mentioned the Jim Collins first who and then what. So you want to get that right people, but that takes a big time commitment. And most people are not going to have that expertise if this is their first or second company. And so they can make use of your experience or someone like you's experience in building out their talent. One of the things that as you were talking that occurred to me is can someone use a PEO professionally, there's a professional employer organization plus a talent as a service to sort of get HR going from zero to 20 or 30 people or more? Is that something that you think is possible today? Absolutely. I mean, people make do with a lot less. And I think mm-hmm. that's some some of both like the 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 challenge and yeah. the opportunity in the space. But yeah, I I, I think so. Hmm. One of the things I think I've seen as a current trend right now is white collar work, particularly in tech, is being hit with more layoffs than other areas and hourly workers. Do you think this is actually maybe a good tailwind for the types of services that you provide? These companies are maybe unsure about bringing in a high-powered executive and so that they can really sort of make use of your service and get that that expertise without the same type of big commitment? That's really the hope for for a number of reasons. I mean, I sort of come from a pedigree of like lean startups or lean companies that are even at scale. But I think one thing I learned from early in my career is even in a recession, there's some people hiring, whether that's a backfill, key gap that you're trying to solve for. Hiring as a thing to do never completely goes away. And I think it can kind of actually bring this false experience of ease because 
it's an employer's market, but you still have to be thoughtful about, in fact, maybe even more thoughtful about the one hire you're making as opposed to the 10 or 50 that you might have been making. And so both having a partner to break down the job to be done, the job that you're optimizing for is, is value one, but two, getting that help via OPEX rather than commitment to a full-time headcount mm. is, is a value proposition. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So Bryce, switching gears a little bit, what are some of the talent attraction HR tech tools that you use and might even recommend to others? Yes, there are two that I really like. I like a tool called Data People, which is a writing tool. And I like Covey, which is a sourcing tool. Mm -hmm. Data People uses artificial intelligence and natural language processing to help improve like the approachability and inclusion. And yeah, just it helps improve the, the diversity and the quality of applicants. And it actually sounds too good to be true, but it, it works really well. And it's kind of a fun, a fun tool to use. And then Covey is sort of like Gem, where it can do outbound writing sequences. The metrics are really great. I feel like same same thing. Their insights help to really move the needle on conversion and hmm. really good partnering cross-functionally. But starting with data people, because that sounds interesting, is that collaborative between the talent person and the hiring manager writing the job description? How does that workflow sort of break down and how does that AI get used? Yeah, great question. So oftentimes, what I will do is upload or add a job description that a hiring manager has prepared that they'd like to use or that they have used in the past to data people in pretty much real time data people apply some visual cues and adds a score to the job description that you've uploaded. And so the the cues might be like a red highlighting for a word or a phrase that brings your score down. It might be a blue or a green highlighting for something that brings the score up, that gives out, you know, highlights repetition, it talks about length, but it's very visually engaging and actionable. It also will highlight general thematic guidance, like this is too long or it doesn't talk enough about you don't have any benefits, et cetera, et cetera. And then I can I can add kind of like a Google Docs collaborative mm -hmm. experience. I can send it to my hiring manager and they can plug back in and edit in there directly. It's it's effective because with the score and with the very action-oriented feedback it really clearly shows what's in it for you, for the hiring mm. manager, and eliminate some of the pointing fingers, like your job description is bad. No, it's really good. La, 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 la. And mm -hmm. simply quantifies that. But it also gives ways and tips for either the recruiter or the hiring manager to work the job description to a better, a better place. I had a GM 
at in a former job who used to say working in data people was like going to therapy because sometimes she would disagree with some guidance it gave, but then generally after spending some time with it and Hmm. finding an alternative, it would end up coming through in a, in a better way. So I feel like anything that serves multiple purposes is, is a yeah, win. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I really don't do as good a job on job descriptions as I could. And I think about my own experience, I get job descriptions in from recruiters versus maybe looking at them on job sites and job boards. And they feel very different. Like, I almost think on a job site, I don't know if you agree or not, like the job description almost doesn't matter. It's like, what is the company and what is the role? Whereas I feel like it matters a lot when you're having that conversation with a recruiter and sort of thinking about their role. Like, how do you think about the value and use of the job description? And does it matter by the can- type of candidate or type of role? Does it matter where you're placed in the job? Or is it always really important to have a great job description? Oh my gosh, what a good question. I mean... What matters is how much the hiring team has defined the job to be done. Mm. And I think they can sometimes feel like a waste if it is a waste, you know, if it's like, you know, this is what a software engineer could be responsible for or could qualify as somewhere and then it is kind of fluff and it doesn't really matter but there's there is this thought leader in the recruiting world named Lou Adler and he talks a lot about people take jobs for what they're going to do and who they're going to become through the experience and i believe in that like i think that's still like the essence of my practice and so the job should show what this person's going to do and hopefully convey a little bit about the experiences and opportunities that will enable them, you know, to become the future version of themselves. And if you can do that right, it can be really effective collateral to supplement and back up, to gain internal alignment, to, you know, qualify candidates. But I think job descriptions are not always yeah, I, I think what you talked about just there with that Lou Adler, who will they become? That to me is sort of powerful because that is not how I have traditionally thought about it. It is what can you do for me as a person? I want you to come in and I want you to do these things for me. What we can do for you as an organization and how we can help you grow. That is a powerful way of framing and looking at it. And it probably needs to recognize that we do not have lifetime employment. I think we all know it. Employment's like one, two, maybe three years, eight, if you're really lucky, but it is a short period of time. Like having that mentality and framing is like, you'll do this. And afterwards you'll be able to, or you will be this person. I think that's a really interesting way in talking about it. And that's probably a, a transparent pitch. And so that's, it's an interesting idea to do that. Well, and it doesn't have to be so. <coughs> it doesn't have to be so like, transactional. But, or like millennial driven in the in the overgeneralization about our peers where what's in it for the employee, but like in challenge is opportunity. And so mm. building a product from the ground up, achieving scale, mm-hmm. transitioning from on-prem to cloud, like those things mm-hmm. give someone experiences that will help them 
become someone different come from a very transactional standpoint, it'll help them qualify for a different job in two years yeah. or three years or five years and understanding what job they want to qualify for in two years or three years or five years, I think is a really interesting way to think about what someone's looking for in their career. Yeah. And I, as you're talking about that, you know, I'm thinking is like, you know, some of these positions that I've hired, maybe I've hired 30 or 40 people, right. In some of these roles. And it's like, okay, 10% of these people go on to become a product manager. 15% of these people go on to make 30% more money or something like that after a year or two. And so in the same way that a college might put out what you get, like average graduating salary or something like that, it, some of these larger companies that have hired a lot of positions, it's probably not hard to talk about what the successful outcomes are and sort of be transparent up front. I would argue that like leaders should be proficient in speaking to that enablement from their, you know, their orgs and mentees and protégés. Cause that, yeah. you know, you work for a manager, you leave a manager and, and the manager knowing, well, Hey, this is going to, this job is going to be grunt work 80% of the time, but 20% of the time you're going to do this thing that really sets you up for something else. I mean, I would trade on that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Having that transparency probably establishes trust early on. One of the other tools I don't think you mentioned, but I do see in our notes is Ashby. And so would love to hear your thoughts and Ashby and how you would talk about it. Yeah. Okay. So Without, okay, oftentimes people ask me if I have a favorite ATS, which is such mm -hmm. a nerdy thing to say. Oftentimes people ask me if I have a favorite I mean, this is a pretty ATS. nerdy set of conversation <laughs> we're having, right? Like, we can just be honest, so. There. And you all do respect, and I think ATS, you know, applicant tracking systems have progressed tremendously since, like, the ones I was using in 2010, it's often felt like a tallest of the pygmies mm. conversation. And like, I even distinctly remember a handful of years ago at a startup when our vendor was there talking with us about something. And I was trying to make a request about how we could do reporting and really try and capture the actions of our funnel. And when I left the room, he told my coordinator, ah, sometimes I really wish we were just Salesforce. And it was like, this like build something better that gets us the things mm. that we need. And that had kind of felt like the conversation until somewhat recently. Ashby is a pretty new product. Mm -hmm. um, it's still it, waitlisted, I believe. So it's still building. It's still mm. love you, Ashby, still far from perfect, <laughs> but it is <laughs> capturing like the workflow side. And one mm. thing that I think is interesting, I've, I've met the team briefly, and they are a pair of, it's a product manager and an engineer. And mm -hmm. from their experience, hiring at scale and mm -hmm. having so much frustration with the talent tools, they broke down the workflow in a lot mm. more of like a user-centric, data-driven manner. And mm. so I, I think it's, I think it's, it's climbing from a usability and value and value to the recruiting team and value to the business uh, tool. Got it. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen people talk about it. I think it's been, you know, it felt hot for a minute, not too long ago, but I also think they've been building and it's waitlisted. So interesting to hear that perspective. When you think about 
things like Ashby and Covey, you know, how, what does your tech stack look like from a recruiting perspective? How many pieces of software are you sort of putting together to get your workflow done? Because assuming you're using LinkedIn, you probably have some of your Covey for sourcing, Ashby for tracking, like how many other pieces might be in a tech stack from a, a TA perspective? Well, and I think it really depends on what you're solving for and what you need to get done. I mean, probably from the earliest stages, you want an applicant tra- tracking system as a candidate and kind of people database um, for your talent brand. think that, you know, things like Covey and anything with tooling, I think that it comes back, it comes to my favorite wisdom on decision making where everyone wants the same three things. They want them to be high quality, easy and low cost. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of these tools make things take less time, you know, therefore make it a little bit easier and raise the quality, but have some costs associated with it. And so your, your hope would be that a data people and a covey would sort of offset each other. Meaning if you invested in data people and really Mm. focused on like job description, talent brand, perhaps you're going to have more people inbound. Whereas if you invest in covey, you're really doing a talent strategy that's focused on, on outbound and on kind of passive Mm. candidate engagement. And I think different things meet your needs at different times in that regard. Interesting. So as a marketer, when I think about marketing problems, I'll have B2C versus B2 small business versus B2 enterprise. And I'm like, okay, consumer is going to be broad and brand and SMB is going to be broad, but more transactional and enterprise is going to be account-based marketing. And it sounds like you also probably have this breakdown that you think about depending on what you're recruiting for, one or two highly specialized candidates versus doing high volume recruiting, you're going to have a different set of tools and a different approach and workflow. Is that is that right? I And as you're doing more of it, right, mm. and you can amortize the cost of one of these tools to more hires, I think it makes it easier to justify doing a lot. You know, people, I feel like there's a, there's kind of a pendulum where, you know, people will really be into LinkedIn in mails and feel like they get a lot better engagement on LinkedIn in mails and then the pendulum will shift and they'll feel like they're getting higher engagement off of sending personal emails and less on LinkedIn. And mm. I think you, it might be more overhead than it's worth to change with the tides every time. And so I think sometimes you mm. have to kind of put a stake in the ground of, what are you optimizing for? You know, for example, Covey won't send a sequence using LinkedIn in mails. And so you could mm. lean into LinkedIn and really send with that instead of, you know, using that for what it's automated for. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think some some of that is also just breaking down what is your workflow. But the, part of the reason I like Covey that I think it's, it it'll enable send on behalf of. And I think mm, being able mm. to send on behalf of an executive or a hiring manager, especially as a recruiter, can really can really raise the effectiveness of, mm-hmm. of your conversion. And especially if it's the recruit the, the hiring manager really is the one recruiting and hiring right. for their team and the only lift that they want is on the finding and the sending of the messages. I think those can be super valuable tools. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. 
I don't see recruiters in Twitter DMs. I don't see recruiters on Discord. Is there any reason? I mean, it seems like it's high engagement. You have people who are sort of talking about what they're passionate about. It seems like a good place to reach out. What are your thoughts on on that channel or those channels? I think different things are going to work for different people on both sides. Like mm-hmm. recruiting is very much a science and an art. I think like I am not a Twitter or a tweeter. I am not on Twitter. And for me or TikTok, although <laughs> I am being recruited to <laughs> patronize TikTok to sometimes. Yeah. But I think I would be less, I think I'd be more awkward and therefore less efficient and effective on Twitter because I don't mm. know it. Now, if that's the only way to get someone, like somewhat, sometimes you got to shoot your shot. Same idea. Yeah. Like, who knows what'll work better to try. I also think that for some people, like that could really be their, their niche. And, and I think like for the recipient, maybe that's appropriate and appreciated and maybe other people don't appreciate it as and I, I'm not just hypothesizing, but like, I certainly know there's recruiters who are more technical than I am, who will do quite a bit of recruiting on GitHub and will either look for certain languages or notice specific things in repositories. And so I think it's a more about being authentic, kind of doing your best to mm-hmm find and attract and engage someone in a respectful and authentic manner. And that's going to be different for different folks. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. When I see like, so I am someone who's on Twitter. When I see people talk about LinkedIn on Twitter, they're like, LinkedIn's done. You know, it's got a lot of spam. People aren't really actively engaged in it. Although I think as a social network, it's actually probably doing pretty well and has high engagement. I'm curious, you know, what is your experience with LinkedIn now? And why do you think Indeed's better? No, I'm just kidding. But what is your experience with LinkedIn? I like LinkedIn. It's imperfect, but I, as Adam Grant says, I live vicariously through people's careers. And LinkedIn mm. as a social network is a great platform to do that. I think there's interesting content and they've, they've built a bit of a moat with regards to, you know, a database of sorts of humans. Um, Mm -hmm. And so as a recruiting tool or proxy for like a professional taxonomy, it's the closest thing Mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. I've seen the engagement and social network part of LinkedIn change. You know, you said live vicariously through people's careers. There's been a lot more sharing of less career-oriented information on LinkedIn. Do you think that impacts how candidates get reached out to in any way? Like if you see someone post sort of you know, an emotional message about what they're going through in life in a variety of ways. Does that alter how you think about reaching out to a candidate? It certainly could. Hmm. You know, I mean, knowledge is power. And so something that doesn't exist isn't going to give you 
the data yeah. that its existence does for better or for worse, right? Someone who, like there's recruiters, for example, that I've tried to recruit based mm-hmm. on content that they've put out there that I think was, you know, smart or funny or engaging. And I felt like that is a skill that I would like to bring on to my team. Let's see if I can yeah. get them. Similarly, poor judgment, poor spelling, poor grammar. <laughs> that's all data that perhaps I wouldn't have gotten yeah. without it. So, so it's maybe a riskier strategy. If you can do it, do it well. You can get people like, oh, I want this person on my team. If you are not as thoughtful about what you're putting out there. And that feels so generational to me. I guess that is like one of the things that's interesting is that how people in the baby boomer versus Gen X versus our generation versus Gen Z might think about it are probably going to look at it from all different perspectives. But, you know, you might run a risk of having people like, oh, that's not the type of person I want to work with if they put out more of that, maybe less professional content in some way. Is that reasonable? Fair? Yeah. And I think it's, you know... I can't put myself into like, I don't know what everybody's solving for in what they're posting. Is it an outlet to just express something? Are they normalizing or are they making effort to normalize or reduce like the, what's the word? Burden, shame, just, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Bring transparency to something. If that's what they're solving for, that's what they're solving for. If they're trying to put something out there to move the needle, you know, in the political environment or to put a stance out there, again, like that might be part of what they're solving for and saying what they say. I think it's also putting their data point out there about mm-hmm. kind of like what we were saying before. There's a job, like a job is what it is. There's things you need to do and there's experiences you're going to get. I believe very strongly that there's a lid for every pot and like the job is going to be what it is, whether or Mm -hmm. not it's a fit isn't good or bad. It just is or isn't. And so, you know, there was a situation where working, working at, at square, which is a pretty progressive and kind of science forward company. We heard about a candidate that had, perhaps had 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 a history of of bias or that bias had shown up in their work and all we could do was show who we are yeah and then self-select so same thing like maybe it does serve a purpose if by putting a stake in the ground you're putting out there what your norms and morals are maybe that helps you match yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's that's interesting because it starts giving me this idea of it's not just the work. There's the job to be done to what you're saying, and then you have to find the right culture fit. And so maybe there is something on the employee side about being very transparent and clear about what is or is not a good culture fit. You probably get fewer people reaching out to you to have a conversation, but maybe those conversations you have are much more meaningful and engaging. I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting one. You know, I'm curious how you think about recruiting and talent. You know, if you were to sort of bring in any outside metaphors, like what do you think is a good metaphor for, for talent and recruiting? For better or for worse, you can 
generally equate most situations in recruitment to dating. Yeah. So whether it's like, how do I respond to a text message or how do I, you know, people will be like, I don't know how the interview went. And it's like, well, if you felt like it went really great, mm-hmm. it, it, it generally did. I mean, sometimes we misread these things, but they're, 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 you generally feel the same thing if you feel like it went bad. If you feel like it went bad, you probably were, were feeling something, you know, and it might not have been the best the best date. If if you hear back really quickly, that's probably a good sign. If you reply too yeah. quickly, maybe you seem too eager. But I can I most often when I think about ooh, how should we handle this? I'm like, well, how would this be in a dating situation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean I, I guess there is a lot of psychology behind that, especially as it probably moves down the funnel and you think about negotiation. One of the interesting things I always sort of see is <laughs> why would this person want to work here? Sort of like this, I, it's almost like companies reject themselves in some sense. Like, oh, I can't imagine this person would want to be here. And it's sort of, it's an interesting thing. I, I guess in the dating world, it'd be like, you know, this person's out of my league. Why would they want to date me type situation? And it's like, maybe don't be so insecure about yourself as an organization. Like, I don't know. I can t- see taking that analogy different places. Well, and I think that's exactly it. It's the psychology of you have this candidate that you think is really great and they seem really interested in you. You start being like, what's wrong with them that they're really interested in us? Yeah. Or, you know, you're like, you want the person that's like not that leaned in and you're like, you're just wanting them because they're hard to get like you know it has to it can be a little damned if you do damned if you don't but it it is it's that right level of attraction i had a i had a former direct report who made the analogy one which is so weird but it makes a lot of sense in recruiting it should feel like a hug that stays consistent pressure the whole way through it shouldn't get tighter and it shouldn't get looser because both feel awkward for different reasons so you want just like a secure attached hug that is like mutually at the right levels. <laughs> uh, you know, talking about the going back to the tools a little bit, what are some of the ways that you find out about new HR talent attraction tools that you're interested in? Sometimes on LinkedIn, either DMs, people will try and sell to me or put things on my radar. The team at Semper Virens, I think is how you pronounce it, Bobby Pierre's firm, they, they have invested in a lot of really great tools. And I feel like mm. their announcements often tee up things that I'm interested in checking out. And, you know, we recruiters, well, not we all, but you, 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 you realize, I think, that it's not a scarcity situation. Again, it's like there's a different lid for every pot. And so I do feel like as, as I've evolved in my career, I've built a good network of other talent professionals. And you got to learn from each other. You know, hey, here's our mm. blocker. Have you seen anything? Are you using anything that would work on that? Like Covey, Covey I came to know through some other peers. Um, and it's always interesting, too. It's like there's seems to be a flow of people from one HR tech to another sometimes. And so mm-hmm. seeing a person's transition can sometimes help you see what's around the bend. Do you think there's from a product and investment perspective, 
Do you think there are any good competitive advantages in this HR talent space? I think like LinkedIn obviously has a pretty strong mo. But to your point, people will go through ATSs that rotate in and out of them. I think CRMs have been something that people have used in different ways. Like, do you see any good competitive moats to keep people like you locked into a product for a longer period of time? Okay, so I think one of the biggest gaps is it, it comes to the imperfection or incompleteness of LinkedIn, which is that it's like a self-populated and optionally self-populated database. And it's organized or searchable as sort of you know, some of it maps well back to organizations, but it's not done for the purpose of creating a literal taxonomy of organizations, past organizations Mm. and the like. And so any effort to like do that and have like snap to, to grab directors of engineering of, you know, tools of teams Mm. that are, 50 to 200 finding those and aggregating them in a moment in time Mm. you're putting on a list in linkedin or a list in google docs and it's accurate only for that moment in time Mm. and the recall on it is also tied to that moment in time and so really long way of saying hunt club is building a product called Atlas. They, Hunt Club is an executive search firm. And during the recession, they started productizing their database and mm-hmm. adding to it as well. And I don't know if they're selling beyond VCs, but they do work to make those cross sections like move with time. Whereas Mm. like and move away from from that moment in time and needing to update, you know, you from being a director of a 50 person team to Mm. in two years, you being a VP of a 200 person team. And so something that helps you kind of capture the scale and movement of those cohorts Mm. doesn't exist yet. But I think Mm. Atlas is building some of that. Interesting. All right. So Does that make sense? interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, interesting opportunity there in that space. that's still very much unfilled. And I do know that other investment, you know, PE venture firms also keep their own database of talent as well. So that is a common thing. It's interesting to hear that venture investors sort of doing that and potentially productizing it. I know we're running a little bit low on time. I think we're both big podcast listeners curious what are some of your favorite podcasts that you listen to like maybe recommend to so i am i can't be one of the biggest brene brown fangirls but like 
probably up there. Her Dare to Lead, especially, as well as Unlocking Us. She has these interviews with Liz Wiseman on impact players, Dr. Angela Duckworth on the importance of grit. There's this really good one with America Ferraro talking about identity. It's kind of that same idea. It's like different perspective on the importance of values to know kind of who you are and what you offer and what that pot is that you're looking for the lid on. She's the best. I would listen to something she put out every single day. Yeah. Brene Brown's fantastic. I've yet to check out, is it Atlas of the Heart on HBO Max? I think she has a four part special, but yeah, she does some, some great podcasts, some great books as well. Anything on the HR tech work side of things that you listen to? Any ones you recommend? Not specifically. I feel like most things fall on the human side is generally mm-hmm. where where my head is. I think, I don't know if this kind of counts, but I think both HBS and GSB, Stanford GSB put out some really interesting podcasts as well. They have like both tools. There was one, I think it was Stanford's GSB that was talking about the value of like human design in in, or, in mm. organizational design. But those two have really good stuff, both on the people front and just broader people in business. Got it. Yeah. Fantastic. Bryce, this is really great. I appreciate the time today. Thanks for diving deep into some of these talent topics and talking about some of the tools that you use. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. 